0: Chapter 6 of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nuche Carey. CHAPTER 6 Queen Elizabeth's Wraith. Life indeed must always be a compromise between common sense and the ideal—the one abating nothing of its demands, the other accommodating itself to what is practicable and real Amiel. As they entered the large square hall with fuss and fury frolicking round them, a tall, respectable-looking woman came forward to meet them. "'I suppose my sister is in the library, Mitchell?' asked Miss Harford, quickly— "'Yes, ma'am. Parker has just taken in the tea. "'Then will you please give this young lady some? "'Take her into my room, and make her comfortable. "'I must ask you to excuse me for a short time, Miss Ward, "'as I have to talk over one or two things with my sister, "'but Mitchell will look after you.' "'Oh, please, do not trouble about me,' returned Waveney. "'And then she followed Mitchell down a long passage "'full of beautiful plants,' to a pleasant sitting-room with a deep bay-window overlooking the lawn with the sundial. The peacock was strutting across the grass with the mincing, ambling gait peculiar to that bird, the peahen following him more meekly. Through green trellised arches one looked on a tennis-lawn, and beyond that was a large red-brick cottage with a porch. When Mitchell brought in the tea-tray, Waveney asked her who lived there. The woman looked a little amused at the question. No one lives there, ma'am, she answered civilly. My mistresses built it for their winter evening entertainments. There is only one room, with a sort of kitchen behind it. It is always called the porch house. Waveney longed to ask some more questions, but Mitchell had already retired, so she sat down and enjoyed her tea. How happy she could be in this lovely place if only Molly were with her! And then she thought of the fifty pounds a year. After all, Erpingham was not so far away. Perhaps they would let her go home once a week, if she could only have her Sunday afternoons and evenings to herself. And then her heart began to beat quickly. How delicious that would be! How Molly and she would talk— and after tea they would sing their old hymns, and then they would all go to church together, and her father and Noel would walk to the station to see her off? And then she wondered if she should mind the long walk across the common. It would be rather lonely, she thought, on a dark winter's evening, and perhaps Miss Harford would not approve of it. While Waveney indulged in these surmises and cogitations, Miss Hartford had walked briskly across the inner hall, and, tapping lightly at a door, opened it, and entered a beautiful long room, fitted up as a library. It had a grand Oriel window, with a cushioned seat, and a tiny inner room, like a recess, with a glass door leading to the lawn with the cedar tree. A lady, writing at the table in the centre of the room, uttered a little exclamation of surprise. Why, Doreen, I was just writing to you, but it is the unexpected that always happens. And then the two sisters kissed each other affectionately. You can put away your letter and give me some tea instead, said Doreen, laughing, and then Althea smiled and walked to a little tea-table that had been placed in the window, with two inviting-looking easy-chairs beside it. Sit down, Dory. do— and tell me what has brought you over like a flash of lightning on a summer evening,' she said as she took up the teapot. Althea Harford was a better-looking woman than her sister, but she could never have been handsome. She was very tall, and her figure was decidedly graceful. She walked well, and carried her head with the air of an empress. Her eyes were expressive and even beautiful, but her face was too long and thin, and her reddish-auburn hair and light eyelashes gave her rather a colourless look. She had a long aquiline nose, and some people said that she reminded them of Queen Elizabeth, though it may be doubted whether that Tudor princess had Althea's air of refinement and gentleness. She was evidently a year or two younger than her sister, but her dress, like Doreen's, was very sedate, and suitable to her age. She had a style of her own, which certainly suited her. When excited, or under the influence of some strong emotion, a faint pink color would come to her cheeks, and a vivid light to her eyes. At such moments she would be almost beautiful. The sisters were very unlike in disposition, but in spite of their dissimilarity, they were the best of friends, and understood each other perfectly. Doreen took life more lightly. She had a robust cheerfulness that seldom failed her. Althea had a greater sense of humor, and far more intellect, but there was a veiled melancholy about her, as though early in life she had suffered disillusion, and she would speak sometimes as though human existence were a comedy where the players wore masks and performed the shadow-dance at intervals. Both sisters were ladies bountiful, and gave nobly of their substance, but Althea could never be brought to acknowledge that she gave enough. She had scruples of conscience, and would sometimes complain that they were like dives, and had their good things in this life. "'And as though we were not rich enough,' she would grumble, "'Aunt Sarah is actually going to leave us her money.' for Mrs. Mainwaring had lately made another will in her niece's favor. Doreen would have a large sum of money, but Althea, who was her favorite, would be the chief legatee, and Althea had groaned in spirit when she heard it. "'It is such a responsibility,' she sighed, but Doreen would not listen to this. "'It is such an enjoyment,' she retorted. "'I do so love spending money.' and so do you, Althea, in spite of your grumbling. And as to Aunt Sarah's will, we need not make ourselves miserable about that, for she will probably live until she is ninety. And this view of the case cheered Althea greatly. Althea's temperament was by no means pessimistic, but like all deep thinkers, she had to pay the penalty of her own acute perceptions. The unsolved problems of life saddened her and at times disturbed her comfort. She envied Doreen her capacity for putting troublesome questions out of her mind. I wish I had your mind, Dory, she once said. It is such a comfortable, nicely padded mind. When disagreeable things happen, you just let down your curtains and keep yourself snug. Upon my word, Althea, returned Doreen good-humouredly, I am glad no one but myself heard that speech. You make me out a nice, selfish sort of person. No, no, you are not selfish at all. You are far more ready to help people than I am. You are a good woman, Doreen, and you know I did not mean that. Then what did your riddle mean? Well, just what I said, that you never worry and fret yourself over troublesome questions— social questions, I mean, difficult problems that meet one in this world at every corner. I often make myself quite unhappy over them, and go to bed with a heartache, but I do not believe that you ever lose an hour's sleep over them. I dare say not. In that sense, I suppose I have a nicely padded mind. But, Althea, it is not that I do not realize the difficulty. But, my dear child, What is the good of sitting down before a mountain and waiting for it to open? Earthquakes of that sort won't happen. I put it by until I am grown up. And as Althea stared at her, she nodded her head. Quite grown up, I mean. We are only children here, and we are not likely to get all our lessons perfect. And then, in a low voice, she said, a little solemnly, What I do thou knowest, not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And as Doreen said this, her plain, homely features were transfigured, and Althea looked at her with reverence, for in her simple faith Doreen had passed her and taken the higher place. "'Well, Doreen, what has brought you over this evening?' asked Althea, as she handed her sister a cup of tea." "'I was thinking of driving over to-morrow to see you and Aunt Sarah. "'Well, I wanted to see you about two or three things, Miss Ward amongst them. "'I have brought her over, and she is at present partaking of tea and cake in my room.' "'Oh, do you think she will do?' asked Althea, quickly. "'Well, that is for you to decide. "'You shall see her presently and judge for yourself.' At first sight, I confess that I was not favorably impressed. She is such a childish-looking little thing, with fluffy, babyish hair curling over her head. But for her eyes and expression, I should never have thought her grown up. She is rather like Laura Ridgeway, only paler. Laura has very pretty eyes, Doreen. So has Miss Ward. They are quite out of the common. And Sarah took rather a fancy to her. And Sarah is a very good judge of character, her sister observed. Well, I liked her better myself, after a time. Her voice is deep, but I somehow admire it, and she read very nicely. She seems anxious to come to us. They are evidently rather poor. But—here Doreen hesitated, in rather an embarrassed way— out with it dory there is something behind i see well it is for you to judge i shall leave the decision in your hands i think aunt sarah is right and that miss ward is a nice little thing but she is everard ward's daughter althea started she was evidently quite unprepared for this she changed colour slightly are you sure of that doreen she asked in a low voice You know how many words there are—dozens and dozens. Yes, and I never for a moment imagined that it could be Everard's daughter, but directly she mentioned her address—Cleveland Terrace, Chelsea. Of course I recognized her. Wait a minute—as Althea seemed inclined to interrupt her—let me make it all clear to you. I put the question to her. Is Everard Ward your father?" That was plain enough, was it not? And when she said yes, I managed to glean two or three particulars that we already know. Yes, but tell me all the same. And Althea's manner was a little eager. Well, she told me that her mother was dead, we knew that, and that she had a twin sister who was rather lame, and a brother, Noel. Then, at the mention of Noel's name, Althea looked a little amused. What a strange coincidence, she murmured. Strange enough, but rather embarrassing. Miss Ward was very naive and frank. It seems the poor man cannot sell his pictures. He has one on hand now. King Canute, she called it, and none of the dealers will look at it. She says her father is very low about it, and that they want the money badly. Well, now what, Althea? "'Pretending to frown at her, for Althea's face was suffused with colour, "'and her eyes were very bright. "'Poor Everard!' she said softly. "'There is room for another picture in the porch-house.' "'And then a queer little smile came to her lips. "'It will be a valuable lesson to the girls.' "'Then Doreen shook her head at her. "'It could not be done, you foolish woman. "'You would be found out.' "'We must discover another way, then,' returned Althea, who was quite in earnest. "'Perhaps Thorold will give it a house-room. But you must be prudent, dear.' "'I will be discretion itself. The picture will not be purchased in my name. You can depend on that. I begin to think my nature is not straightforward. I do so love little plots and underhand schemes. I should have made a good secret conspirator.' Now, about this girl, if she pleases me, I can see no objection to our engaging her. It is perfectly simple, Dory. They are poor, and the girls have to work. Fate, or rather, for it is no joking matter, providence has brought her to us. Is it too superstitious to say that I feel that I dare not refuse to take her? It may be another way of helping them. "'Yes, but in my opinion, Everard ought to know to whom he is sending her. "'Ah, I agree with you there, in spite of my subterranean and complicated schemes. "'I did not propose any fresh masquerade, as far as the girl is concerned. "'I am willing to be as open as the day. "'Now, as we have finished tea, shall I go to your room?' "'And Doreen smiled assent.' Waveney was standing by the window, crumbling some sweet cake for the peacock. She turned round at the sound of the opening door. The evening sun was shining into the room, and perhaps the light dazzled Waveney a little, but certainly she gave a very droll description of Althea to Molly afterwards. The door opened, and a very tall woman in a gray gown seemed to glide in, for she walked so quietly— that I could not hear a footstep, and lo and behold, it was Queen Elizabeth's wraith. Oh, Waveney, what nonsense! And I do hate that horrid old Elizabeth. Well, so do I, but all the same, Miss Harford is remarkably like her such a long thin face and nose, and reddish hair, and she had a sort of ruff of lace round her throat, and such a stately manner it was quite queenly. And, I think, really, that I should have made my curtsy, only she came up to me in the kindest way, and took my hand. I am so sorry that you have been all alone, all this time, she said, in such a sweet voice, but my sister and I had so much business to discuss. She has told me all about you, so I am not going to trouble you with needless questions." You can just tell me anything you like about yourself. I have a great respect for workers, and always love to help them. It was nice of her to say that. Yes, it quite won my heart. I like both the Miss Harfords, Molly, but Miss Althea, or Queen Bess, as I prefer to call her, is more to my taste. She interested me directly, and we had such a nice talk just as though we were old friends, and she said at once that I could have my Sunday afternoons. Think of that, sweetheart! I shall be with you every Sunday. Althea's sympathetic nature had at once grasped the girl's trouble at leaving home. I think I could arrange for you to spend the greater part of your Sundays at home, she observed. That is, if you are a good walker, for we never use our horses on Sundays unless the weather is very bad. We dine early, for I always have a busy afternoon in the porch-house, and I could spare you easily. But the long walk back in the dark, faltered Waveney, who knew well that her father would make objections to this. Then Althea considered the point. Yes, you are right. You could not walk alone on dark evenings, and the winter is coming. There are houses, of course— "'but they stand so far back, and the gates are locked. "'Oh, no, my dear, that would never do. "'Neither my sister nor I could permit you to walk alone.' "'Then her face brightened, and she continued with more animation. "'I have an idea. "'My maid Peachy always goes to see her mother on Sunday afternoons. "'She lives near Victoria, and she always takes the same train back. "'We will find out which that is,' and then you can walk up the hill together.' At this the girl's joy was so evident that Althea had been quite touched. Just at the close of the interview she had said a few words that greatly surprised Waveney. "'And now, my dear, I should like you to go home and talk things over with your people, and then you can write me a line saying whether you wish to come to us. We must not decide things finally until your father gives his consent.' he will know our names. And, as Waveney seemed puzzled at this, when we were young, he visited at our house. Oh, not here. We lived in Surrey, then. But when shall you want me? asked Waveney, anxiously. Oh, I am sure father will give his consent. He is dreadfully unhappy at the idea of our working, but he knows it must be done. Still, you must consult him." returned Althea, gently, and her manner was a little stately. As for my wanting you, I shall be content if you could come to me in about ten days. Now I hear the carriage coming round. Good-bye. I think I will add Avra, And then she shook hands very cordially, and the next moment Doreen joined them. There was very little conversation during the drive back. Miss Harford was busy with her letters and notebook, and Waveney leaned back on the cushions and thought over her talk with Althea. "'How strange that father should have known them,' she said to herself. "'He often talks of his old friends, but he has never mentioned their name. "'Harford, no, I am sure I never heard it until Miss Warburton spoke of them. "'If I go anywhere, it shall be to the Red House.' I have made up my mind to that. I like both of them. They are different somehow from other people, but I like Queen Bess far the best. End of chapter 6